Oh, Father, thank you for this psalm because it resonates with every person in this room. All of the experiences of David in this psalm are the experiences that we have. And what we pray, Father, is to have the same dynamic, the same vibrancy of life as we encounter these same things in this modern life that he did in the ancient life. And to experience it, Father, in such a way that we feel that we are lifted above the shadows and brought into the light of your presence. To this end, Father, as we study this psalm, we ask for you to give us eyes and ears and able to discern it anew because it is so well known to us. And our fear, Father, is that some words that have become so familiar to us will be forgotten as words that were first birthed in your heart and that they have been transmitted to us. And just because they are well known, Father, still depths for us to plumb. And so we ask, Father, that you, you give us this blessing of eyes and ears tonight and that you bless us father with an ability to see more deeply into this psalm and therefore to see more deeply into our own lives thank you father for this blessing and we ask it all in jesus name amen how many of you have memorized psalm 23 at some point in your life how many of you could recite from memory psalm 23 right now okay we'd like for you to come up to i'm just kidding <laughs> It is, it is a, known, uh, a well-known psalm. Um, I don't think it's the very first psalm that I have a memory of, of uh, memorizing or the first scripture. I believe that John 3.16 actually was the very first scripture that, that I memorized. But Psalm 23 was, was right up there with one of the first. It is a well-known psalm. It's a psalm that at most funerals you hear people read this and you hear people recite it. Uh, again, you know, most of us memorized it as a kid, and it's a, a memory work that has stayed with us all the days of our life. But the question I want to ask right now is, having known it so well and memorized it and gone over the words over and over again, do we feel like we really know this song? I'm going to hazard a guess, and that the answer is going to be not completely do we know it. This psalm is, is not a psalm about death. It's a psalm about life. This psalm is about a dynamic, confident, well-ordered life that faces unflinchingly anything and everything that comes down the path at it. Now, we looked at the first couple of verses, verses 1 and 2, this last week. And in verses 1 and 2, there is this declaration that the psalmist makes. The first declaration is this. I need nothing... I need absolutely nothing because everything I do need is supplied. And you know as well as I do that there is this, this beautiful picture. It's a metaphor. It's, it's picturesque of, of the Christian life. And the metaphor is that of sheep. And here are the sheep that are lying down. It's, it's a picture of the sheep not being anxious. Sheep do not lie down when they're anxious. Or if there's something to fear or there's some danger that is nearby. These sheep have been taken to a place where there's the ability to flourish and to thrive. And anxiety has been removed and they're able to lay down. And one of the things that you notice in life, and it's not just scripture, but in all of life, one of the things that you notice is that as you become more and more content with life, and you're content with the way things are going, you're content with who you are, you're content with what you have, as the contentment goes up, the anxiety goes down. Which leads to a second declaration, verses 3 and 4 that we're going to look at tonight. In the second declaration, the first is, I need nothing because everything I need is supplied. The second declaration is, I will not fear because I am not alone. I don't need to fear because I do not do life 
by myself. I will not fear because I am not alone. As confidence, you know, we talked about contentment goes up, anxiety goes down. In this particular part of the psalm, as confidence goes up, or the strength of confidence goes up, dread and fear go down. Now, the world that the Bible describes in Genesis 1 and 2, and this is the creation scene as, as Moses lays it out, is a world in which words like fear and, and words like dread and words like apprehension were not in the dictionary. We, we've talked about this before. There was, there was a time during this creation scene that, that Moses uh, writes for us in Genesis 1 and 2. There is this, this world described in which human beings never, never came into contact with something that would make them shudder. It's a world in which humans never experienced a, a case of the creeps or felt that there was some apprehension or some vulnerability. And one of the lessons, one of the, the less talked about lessons of the creation account is that human beings are really not built for anxiety. I mean, have you ever known anybody, any human being that actually did better in life, they actually grew stronger, they actually became more loving, they became more patient, they became a better human being because the anxiety was going out of the roof? It doesn't happen. And the reason is human beings were not built for anxiety. And that anxiety enters into the picture when sin enters into the picture in Genesis chapter 3. And what happens, and you know the story, we won't repeat it. We've talked about these kinds of things before. But what happens as a result of the sin is that man who is living in this place where there is no apprehension, there's no reason to shudder, there's no fear, there, there's not, not a whiff of danger anywhere in the world. He is moved out of this garden. And not only is he moved out of this garden into a different place to live, but man is also separated from God in a way that man has never experienced it. And the anxiety bud that is now planted in man's heart begins to blossom. And ever since Genesis 3, human beings have never been the same. Now again, verses 3 and 4 are going to be our focus tonight, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week, where we saw that the most important decision you make in life is this, the decision to define who your shepherd is going to be. The problem with anxiety is that we're following the wrong shepherds. The most important decision in life is who is going to be your shepherd. God or something else or God or someone else. But we're going to take it a little bit further tonight. When we get to verse 3 and 4, this teaching that David gives us tonight is to remind us to recognize not only that there are false shepherds out there, but that there are false shepherds that you have allowed to come into your life. Now, false shepherds out there, you know, you want to be aware of them and you want to keep your distance and you want to have the right kinds of boundaries to protect you from the wrong kinds of shepherds. But those you can't do anything about. They are there as a product of a fallen world. The ones that you do and can and should and must do something about are the false shepherds that have come into your life. Do you recognize them? Do you recognize them? Again, anxiety is the product of following the wrong shepherd. We go back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is the very first instance, not only in the Bible, but in the, the entire history of the world in which a human being listened to the voice of the wrong shepherd. 
The serpent says, you should really listen to me because I'm going to tell you the way it really is. God does not have your best interests at heart. God is, does not have your, your best interest at heart and, 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 and he does not want you to flourish and to thrive in ways that only he knows about. And the serpent says that God is opposed to the humans because God knows that if you eat of the forbidden fruit that you will be like him, that you will be like God. And Eve listens to the voice of the wrong advice giving, life directing, you know, life guide who is the serpent. She listens to the wrong shepherd and depended on the serpent to get her through life successfully. So the big question is, we know those false shepherds are out there, but how do we recognize them when they come into our own hearts? Well, we know that they're there when we begin to live in anxiety, but how do you begin to identify those false shepherds? The first answer is, is maybe to ask the question, who or what is the, the anxiety supplier in your life? When you think about those, those levels of anxiety beginning to raise in your life, where, where does that anxiety come from? Do you really fret about health a lot? And find yourself not being able to sleep at night or lay your head down on the pillow and get the rest that you need because you're worried about health concerns either for yourself or for somebody else. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to lose a relationship. Maybe you're anxious about your job. You know, economies can dip and, and relationships can, can change on a dime. But basically, it can be anything that the very thought of going through life without this thing or this person is what produces and creates the anxiety and the worry. You see, Adam and Eve looked for their satisfaction in something else. They are spending time with the creator of the heavens and the possessor of the universe. And yet here comes the false shepherd and in an opportune moment speaks a, 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 a lie into the ear that Eve and Adam decide to follow. And they look for their satisfaction in something else or in someone else other than God. So where do you find the anxiety when you really think about it? Where do you find that anxiety building in your life? And then maybe the answer number two is consider your worst case scenario thinking. No one knows, when, when you get to Psalm 23, no one really knows when David wrote this psalm, but, but something must have been going on, right? Something very, very... Uh, dangerous was going on in verse 4 he says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death something's going on in his life and David does this from time to time David talks about being surrounded by enemies he talks about those that want to devour his flesh in this particular case he's going into a pit he's going into a valley and he's not being it's so dark that he can't see his way out to the other side just yet but when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what he is uh, uh, communicating or, or demonstrating there is this worst case scenario thinking. Now there, there was a, an Old Testament scholar by the name of Peter Craig. He died in a car wreck uh, some 10, 15 years ago, but a brilliant, brilliant guy, written great commentaries on the Psalms. Peter Craig, Craigie did some work on this Psalm and says that this Hebrew word, Salmavet, uh, means to feel like you're going into the presence of a deep shadow or to go into a completely, totally dark place. 
Now, one of the keys here is to consider your worst-case scenario thinking, of which there are a couple of ways you know, to do this kind of thinking. Do you find yourself from time to time trying to convince yourself that, you know, this is one way that you do the worst case scenario thinking? This can never happen to me. This can never happen to me. We convince ourselves that this particular whatever that case, worst case scenario is could never happen to us. And while that, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that in, in terms of, of not wanting bad things and painful things to come into your life, it is incredibly naive. Or a second way that we do it is our worst case scenario kind of takes this bend. We live in constant dread that there's this anvil, this, you know, the sky is about to fall in on top of us. But when you consider David's worst case scenario thinking in verse 4, he's going into the valley of the shadow of death. He's going into a dark place where he does not see the light at the end of the tunnel. David does neither of these when it comes to that that dark place. David doesn't say, you know what, I'm going into the valley of the shadow of death. I can't believe this is happening to me. Nor does he say, you know what, I just knew at some point in my life the other shoe was going to drop and I was going to enter into the valley of the shadow of death, whatever it is. David doesn't say, I can't believe that this is happening to me. And he doesn't say, I just knew this was going to happen to me. He says, as he walks through the worst of the worst, I fear no evil. I heard a fellow describe it this way. That David does not have an, uh, a if-it-comes my way kind of thinking what he has is a whatever comes my way perspective you have to consider the way you think about those worst case scenarios but then number two once you have seen these are the sources of the anxiety these are the things that are causing me to fear number two you have to reaffirm that the lord is your shepherd and that's not something that you just do every once in a while. That's something that you do every morning. Uh, uh, in fact, if, if you're looking for the words to pray, there are no finer words to pray in all of the Bible than to say every morning, Lord, you are my shepherd. I affirm that you're the shepherd. I am the sheep who are going to follow you as the shepherd each and every moment of this day. It's God as my shepherd who has me on the right path. Verse 3. He's the good shepherd. It's the right path that he has put me on. He is, as God, he is my shepherd who is with me. Not only does he put me, verse 3, on the right path, a path of righteousness, but this God who is my shepherd is with me on wherever that path may go, even into the shadow or total darkness that sometimes invades life. I was, I was probably 20 years old the first time that uh, I heard somebody mention this in, in a sermon, and it stuck with me ever since. Uh, many of you know the name Rick Ashley. Rick was, uh, is the preacher now at, at, at the Hills Church in Fort Worth. Before that, he was in Abilene, Texas, preaching at the Southern Hills Church. And he and the campus minister at the Hillcrest Church would swap pulpits from time to time on a Wednesday night. And one Wednesday night, Ellen and I were sitting at Hillcrest with all of our friends. There were about eight, 900 students at that um, at, uh, to hear Rick preach, and it was Rick who for the first time brought to my attention the pronoun change in this psalm. 
the third person singular. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. He is the one who guides me. That by the time you get to verse 4 and you're in the valley of the shadow of death, it becomes the second person singular. It is you who are with me. It is you who are with me. God, to David, is most real and most intimate with David as he's going through that dark place. Now you think, man, what a wonderful psalm, right? I mean, David is really giving us some good instruction here on, on, on how to choose the right shepherd. It's a reminder and an affirmation that when you go through life every day, you've got to make sure because there are false shepherds out there, you've got to find the right shepherd. You've got to make sure that that shepherd is God. And you've got to affirm it and you've got to press your mind into it, throw your energies into it. And you've got to make sure that you know, the, the, the anxiety is going down so that this confidence can go up. And, and to do that, you know, not only do you affirm that God is the one who's going to shepherd your life, but you also got to realize that there are these false shepherds that somehow sneak in. And on top of that, God becomes most intimate to me and God comes nearest to me and God is closest and clearest to me in the dark places Hallelujah. Except for when you're in a dark spot, right? I'm in a dark spot. My life is on fire. I'm in tremendous pain, pain like I have never known. I am hurting. I am suffering. The anxiety, by the way, the word anxiety comes from a Greek word which means to constrict, like when you grab somebody's throat and squeeze. Or when you're having a heart attack and everything feels constricted, that's the word of which we get anxiety. When, when anxiety comes into a human being, it feels like you are being constricted. And that's one of the reasons why when people are going through anxiety, they have a hard time hearing all the details. How is it in an anxious moment when there's a crime going on, everybody sees something different? Anxiety. How is it that when somebody is going through anxiety or an anxiety attack, they have a, an, an incredibly difficult time describing what it is that they feel are communicating clearly. It's because of this constriction. And that's what I feel going through this moment, through this, this shadow, this valley, this, this, this place of death. So what if God is with me? What in the world does that mean? I'm supposed to feel good because God is there. You know, David does the same thing in Psalm 29. He talks about this worship scene, ascribe to the Lord, the glory to His name. And then... In verse 3, he begins to talk about the storm of storms. Not all of life is lived in church, right? Where everything is great and God is in, in his heaven and we're in the pews and everything is great and we're worshiping God and it's all jolly. Sometimes storms break into the music, right? And the storm that David describes in Psalm 29 is a storm that it feels like mountains are being moved. It feels like trees are being ripped up. It feels like I'm being kicked by, by an animal. That's the way he describes that storm that comes into life in Psalm 29. And at the, towards the end of that psalm, the second to last verse, he says, but God is there and he's enthroned above that flood, that storm that comes into your life. Great, but so what? The answer that comes next is the turning point. In Psalm 29, he's there but he's not silent. He's there and not just watching, but he's there and in the moment of turmoil and in, 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 in the storm and the flood, 
God blesses his people, not with knowledge, but with strength and with peace. The last verse of Psalm 29. In this particular psalm, the Lord comes with strength. In your moment of vulnerability, and why do you feel vulnerable? You ever thought about that? I mean, every day you're vulnerable when you go out onto 410 or 16 or 4 or 35 or wherever you go. You're vulnerable every time you go to work. You're vulnerable. You just live in vulnerability. Why is it that sometimes you feel that vulnerability and sometimes you don't? It's because of strength. One of the, one of the ways that God comes into our life in these big ways when we're in that valley and He is our shepherd and he is there. We're not alone. He guides us. He leads us. But in the valley of the shadow of death, you, you lead me. So he comes with strength. A rod and staff. Symbols of strength and symbols of love and symbols of guidance and symbols of leading the way. And also in verse 3, God's reputation is at stake. You know, one of the most amazing teachings in the Bible that, that I think are overlooked all the time is what God invests for our well-being. You know, you think about, you think about Jesus teaching about prayer in, Psalm, uh, excuse me, in Luke chapter 11. You know, I, the, the reason that Jesus' prayer life is so different in the eyes of men who prayed all the time is because he saw God, he prayed to God as his father. And not only as his father, but as Luke chapter 11 teaches us, that when we pray to God as our father and we pray for the things that are according to his will, that God's reputation is at stake. Therefore, ask and seek and knock. And, and if you, who are evil, really know how to give your son an egg rather than a scorpion or, or bread instead of a snake, how much more your Father, who art in heaven, give you what you need. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is really trying to, to just get people's minds full of what it is that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit have done to bring them together and to knock down the walls of, of animosity between them and to, to save them by grace. And he says, do you not know what happened to you when, when you became a son of God or a daughter of God? And God put his spirit in you like earnest money when you buy a house. And if God reneges on any of the promises, if God reneges on any of the claims that he makes for your life as his son, his daughter, he loses that Holy Spirit. Which means that God ceases to be God. That's what he's invested. His reputation is at stake. And the same thing is being said in this psalm. That, that, that God is so invested in your life, not just as a presence, but as a power, and not just as a power, but as a wisdom, and not just as a wisdom, but as a patient father, and not just a patient father, but a holy God who is trying to lift you out of the fallenness of Genesis chapter 3, where we began to listen to false shepherd and to take us to a place where we understand that this life in this fallen world can be lived dynamically, described as it is in Psalm 23. He comes for his name's sake. 
into our life in such a way to change us and morph us and, and to transform us and radicalize our thinking in such a way that we are completely different kind of sheep. We're the kind of sheep who are not going to be standing around because we're anxious. We're the kind of sheep that because we're in the presence of the good shepherd, because we're in the presence of the one who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death with his rod and his staff, who leads us on a path of righteousness beside still waters into the green pastures, that this is a life that can be vibrant and dynamic and full of joy that not only brings glory to him, but brings a blessing not only to us, but everybody else around us. The psalm is not about death. The psalm is about life and how it is to be lived courageously and bravely and, and, and spiritually and without all of that other anxiety and all of those things. To go through life without shuddering, to go through life without feeling vulnerable, not because something might or might not come, not a, you know, if it comes, but whatever comes our way, kind of worst-case scenario thinking, to know that that is the way we are supposed to live. Now that, that, my friends, is a different kind of human being. And quite frankly, the kind of human being that God has always intended for us to be. That's the way we were always intended to live, with that kind of confidence in His presence. So Ben, we're going to ask you to lead us in a song right now. It's it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to, to, to pray and, and to be prayed for and to let the needs of your heart and of your soul and of your mind to be made in such a way that our church family can join with you in Psalm 23 kind of living where, where we realize that, yes, bad things do come. But the worst thing that can come to us is not the last thing. And the, the, the worst thing that can come to us is not the thing that defines us. And for us to be able to pray together and to stand together and to praise God together and to pray for each other and to encourage each other is what we're going to do right now. Some of our shepherds will be down here at the front. If there are ways that we can minister to you, come down to the front and talk to these shepherds, but let's stand and praise God together. What a fellowship, what a joy divine leaning.